until we're ready to make that shift and actually try something out of our habitual repertoire, unfortunately, it's a long, painful process. You're listening to the Octopli Podcast, a coherent vision for the future of business. Welcome back to the Octopli Podcast. This is going to be your holidays edition because I'm coming at you on the 22nd of December, one day after the winter solstice for those in the north and the summer solstice for those in the south. And also, we had our sun pass through the galactic center a couple days ago. So, some real potent magic coming through. And uh, I've been really diving into a new form of astrology, as you know, called the true sidereal zodiac, which I think astronomers would like better because astronomers and astrologers haven't gotten along in the past because astrologers have historically been off by 19 degrees because they're kind of attached to this idea of where the sun rises on the spring equinox. Now, I'm already starting this off pretty technical. Really what this is about is it's about the simplicity of really getting what we want in life because ultimately what we want to do in life is we want to kind of break out of the patterns that have control over us, the negative kind of shadowy patterns that control our genetics, that control our environment, that can that put us into negative habitual loops. And one thing I've discovered, especially, I had a huge relationship with DNA through my own work, but then discovering the gene keys articulated a lot of things. And since then, I've been able to synergize the two things, synthesize them, and create something new. I don't even have a name for it. I just call it trifecta. The reason I call it trifecta is because it's the triune brain. The, the right hemisphere is in balance with the left hemisphere activating the corpus callosum. And when that happens, that's where synergy happens. And then that's where heart-brain coherence occurs and our mind stops getting in the way. The mind, of course, is simply a binary computer of yes and no, and it can only assess the future based on data from past input. So it obviously can be at odds with something like the heart that has exposure to the entire frequency bandwidth and can access information non-linearly in the present moment. And really, when we're being controlled by the shadow, often that comes through in the way of mental conditioning. And you could spend a whole lifetime with a psychologist going through each little corridor and chamber and recesses of your conscious, subconscious, and unconscious mind to try to weed things out. And you know, Subconscious reprogramming does have its place, but I also know that when you take care of one weed, another weed tends to pop up somewhere else. So it becomes sort of a lengthy process. Trying to understand the mind from the perspective of the mind is a little bit futile. And so what I've discovered is that to step out of that shadow bandwidth, and that shadow bandwidth is really like slavery, essentially. That's what it feels like to anybody that's trapped in that. Um, into proper individuation. And that's where we really step into our own sovereignty. Individuation is where we step into our needs, our heart, our body. And then after that, there's another one where we sort of transcend. We become the transcendent in a way. And we that's a much more unifying force where we become um, merged with oneness. And we just become this fractal drop of oneness with a slightly different flavor. So these three bandlets sort of exist, but I mean, you need to go in progression. You need to actually 
feel the full effect of the shadow before you're willing to actually step into individuation. G.R. Gurdjieff had a great quote, which was basically, a man would give up anything except for his suffering. And you probably know people like that in your life that sit there and they bitch and moan and they complain and they don't do anything about it over and over again. And you could literally hand them the answer to their life's problems on a silver platter and they would scoff at it. Those people aren't ready. And until we're ready to make that shift and actually try something out of our habitual repertoire, unfortunately, it's a long, painful process. So have an open mind. Get to trying out something a little bit sooner. That shadow, basically, all it really is, is it's our inability to stay connected with the flow of life happening around us. And as a result, there's sort of two responses. One response is based out of fear. When we take a fear response, we actually repress aspects of ourselves. So it's sort of a constriction, a closing down, a shutting down. The other one is like a projection or a reaction where we try to get the thing out of us as quickly as possible. Um, but because both of those are not rooted in the heart, what ends up happening is that we can stay in a perpetual loop. So our um, basically the easiest way to explain it is somebody who is more um, repressed is generally more fearful and someone who is more um, reactive is generally more angry. And so it's interesting too, because you can take something like with myself, for instance, uh, I'd actually been repressing my pride for some time. So instead of being egotistical and boastful. And I can be like that sometimes. I've got my fingers burned and that's probably why I started to repress it and I started to play small and be coy. Um, but it's still, by holding ourselves back and actually not allowing that to flow in a healthy way, it holds back everything else. And when I started to do this contemplative work, I realized that actually pride is okay in that I need to individuate with that and express it in a very kind of beautiful, artful way you know, it's what I call the essential marketing of heart branding, which is you're just talking about things you love. And it's so attractive that people want to join you. You know, if, if you know, if you're having a good time, generally other people show up and they're like, hey, I want to have a good time, too. I mean, unless you're hanging around with tire kickers and tire kickers, really, they don't want to have a good time. They just want to complain. But for them, maybe complaining is a good time. So back to what I was getting at, because I love to digress. But proper individuation is about stepping into the heart and it's allowing life to kind of fuel us. It's the best way to put it. In that first stage, we're being eaten by life. So it's the shift between the shadow consuming us to us being fueled by that same energy. There's a great quote that the ocean is the same body of water in which the mystic treads easefully as the ordinary man drowns. Same water, two different expressions of it. And so many of us are exposed to the same external stressors, but we respond very differently. And that response is actually triggered by our genetics because our DNA is responsible for controlling the neurochemical uh, synapses that fire in the brain, hormonal balances um, due to, you know, essentially how much we have lit it up. So once I started to really go deep with this, I, I, I got into this a few years ago, four years ago, because I actually 
just saw something in a, in a meditation and I actually like made an autoimmune disease go away. I don't want to say cure it. I don't want to make any big promises, but it went away and it never came back, which is cool because it was really um, a challenge for quite some time for about 10 years prior to that. So that kind of got my eyes open. And then uh, at the time it was, I was, what I was seeing and experiencing was I didn't even know if there were words for it or how to express it. Cause I could look at a biology textbook, but it's giving me useless information for what I was talking about. You know, the understanding of genetics in our society, uh, it's still, they're approaching it with the wrong lens, with the wrong measuring stick. Um, because the right way to look at it is basically that it is this record keeping this library that when we can actually that we can actually interface with and we can actually change it just recently you know um there's been more studies around epigenetics when dna was discovered in the 50s they said you're kind of screwed whatever you kind of inherited from your ancestors you're, you're kind of stuck with because they were viewing it through a materialistic lens whereas now we have a much different perspective on it and i don't think until we've really integrated quantum physics and quantum biology will we fully grasp the significance but some cutting-edge biologists have and some of them have said that actually it kind of exists between dimensions because it's holographic so you change one strand of dna and it ripples throughout all the 50 trillion cells in the body which is fascinating um so it's not really physical it's not really energetic it's somewhere in between it's like straddling both worlds it's a liquid crystalline solution and it's a salty solution, which means it responds very well to frequency, too well sometimes. It's very sensitive to frequencies. So the frequency of the attitude we carry, and I talked about this in a recent podcast, is going to be the thing that essentially is in closest proximity and affecting us on that level. So what do we do, though, when our emotional bedrock or the foundation of our emotions is one that's pretty grim, pretty negative. We don't like it. It's dour. I mean, we all go through periods in life where something will happen and we get down. Uh, but if we're not able to pick ourselves up for prolonged periods of time, that starts to shut the body down. And that actually begins the process of creating disease. You know, the Ayurvedic system talks about that, that before anything manifests in life as disease, there's sort of three precursory steps that are immeasurable from a material perspective, but they're more behavioral or they're more emotional or energetic that basically are the causal forces. So DNA really is the causal force for everything else that happens in life. So what I say is why not go to the source? Because otherwise it's kind of like the myth of the hydra where every time you cut off a hydra's head, two more grow in its place. And that's kind of how when we approach healing or self-improvement from a low level, it's sort of like there just becomes more and more and more and more to do. And then at some point we break down and go, I don't know anything and I'm a wreck. And I wasted all that money. <laughs> yeah, well, you're dealing with the symptoms and actually it's not a waste because you learn some very valuable things. You did grow along the way. Hitting rock bottom is a natural part of every cyclical cycle. And the faster you get back up, it shows the growth in the area of resiliency, which I think is invaluable. But until we actually penetrate to the depth of the core of that wounding, which resides in our 
DNA, which is actually a collective wound that has nothing to do with us. We just formed a personal relationship with that wounding. Once we address that relationship, just like we address any other relationship in life and have an open and heartfelt dialogue with it, then we start to actually feel better at a foundational level. And when we feel better at a foundational level, we start to put our energy onto more positive things in the world. Now, the interesting thing with this whole um, study of DNA is that, and I talked about the three different frequency bandwidths, is that essentially there's 64 different codons that kind of represent 64 different archetypes. And the archetypes, if you're more poetic and philosophical, are really captured well in the I Ching. And the Gene Keys kind of gives a nice modern interpretation. Um, so they're different sort of like energies or dynamics that play out in life. Now, we all know about, you know, gurus, for instance, enlightened masters that were enlightened in some ways and very abusive in other ways. And the best way to explain this is because we as humans are so ready to throw rocks at somebody once, you know, and throw everything they've ever done out if they fuck up once. Um, but in truth, all that happened is an individual managed to liberate one or a few codons into a higher frequency bandwidth. And so when they're, that archetype is triggered or in that context, they show up as holy and enlightened. So they can be compassionate and emanating pure grace on one hand, and then you put a beautiful young woman in the room and they turn into a sexual predator. That is a very common thing that happens. And um, yeah, it's unfortunate. But what I've learned is that oftentimes people trigger enlightenment experiences accidentally and then have to deal with the ramifications of basically driving a uh, you know, a Ferrari at full speed and, and try to handle this that they've, that they've never driven before versus being able to gradually activate all parts of ourself to actually be, to create something that's a lot more balanced. And so by working on each of the 64 archetypes, it's sort of like we bring the shadow elements, we purify the shadow elements out of each of those. And so they're all, first of all, healthily individuated and then, you know, a rare few of us will be able to actually move that into a transcended bandwidth. Um, and when I really contemplate and I read some of the transcendental ones, it's like there are these free moments in life. And I think they happen to everyone where we experience them. Sometimes people just don't notice they come up. And for people who are actively, you know, pursuing a life of quiet and compassion and stillness and connection and being conscious there's more and more of those moments and the gap between those moments is shorter. And at some point it becomes an unbroken wavelength and, and people just reside there in a state of timelessness per, um, permanently. But there's almost no point in talking about that because it can't be understood from the mind. It's actually sort of the um, projection of the heart into the ultimate, you know, in, in Hinduism or in, in the Vedas, they call it, you know, when the little Atman forms of the bigger Atman, that's basically the end result. And the little Atman, the healthiest version of that is um, the higher frequencies of individuation, where we really become, you know, very healthily individuated and we have uh, good relationships and, and things are flowing harmoniously in life. And then we make that transition in over to the 
bodhisattva way of life where if one suffers, all suffer. So we, we see things from this holistic perspective and we see others as a part of us, as an extension of us, and we choose to help them because now we're living life from a much bigger footprint, from a much larger perspective on things. And yeah, it, it makes sense at one point um, and it makes absolutely no sense in another on another hand and it's all state-based you know if we're if our brain is vibrating too fast um everything looks separate it's sort it's a neurological feature if you're in the beta brainwave state which is above 12 hertz uh your brain actually perceives everything dualistically but when you relax and relax and relax things start to progressively unify you know when we're in a delta brainwave state some people can get there in meditation. Most people are there in sleep. When you're in a delta brainwave state, you are in that undifferentiated, universal, everything's one consciousness. Just we don't remember that. There's this amnesic barrier when we wake up. Um, and, you know, in between there, there's plenty of theta and alpha where there's lots of dreaming, there's lots of traveling through different spaces, through different um, psychological facets and archetypes and all sorts of things happen during our dream life. But at some point in the night, uh, we need to just completely go back to that oneness, which is why it's great to sleep on things, because then we get a opportunity to reconnect with the source and then plug into that and then plug out and go back into our lives. But of course, these days, people don't sleep very well. Either it's high stress levels or Wi-Fi or light pollution or whatever. Um, you know, I don't think most people get into a deep delta. Actually, they've, they've done plenty of studies. And a lot of the time when people sleep, they're kind of just humming somewhere below beta. And you, you know when you get a night of like restless sleep. And like you could sleep for eight hours, but it doesn't feel rejuvenating at all. It's like we actually need to plug back into that transcendental state. Now, when we live more consciously, we can begin to remove that amnesic barrier. And then it becomes one unbroken consciousness that moves through different forms. And when we do that for all the different aspects of life, things are harmonious. When we have them popping up in certain aspects of life, things are chaotic because we're playing with a lot of voltage and there's some areas that are still pretty messed up. There's some areas that are still being controlled by the shadow aspects of ourselves. You know, there's a lot of people who um, basically give their power away to whatever luminary or, you know, thought leader or guru that shows up in a way that tends to agree with them. And then they're blind to the fact that these people are very human in other areas of life. And because they're very human in other areas of life, you know, they're going to make mistakes and their judgment isn't always going to be perfect. And they, they're not going to um, go the distance in every aspect. And so we have to give credit where it's due, give credit where credit is due, and also realize that these are individuals figuring other things out too. You know, like maybe they did a great humanitarian effort, but you know, they were, they had domestic issues and you know, there was, he was always fighting with his wife. There's a, 
story about a, a great advocate, uh, or activist, sorry, who was given a lot of credit, but like his, his home life was a disaster and he was uh, not so nice in his personal affairs. And so, you know, that I think can create a sense of imposter syndrome because we have these 64 different archetypes within us. Might be, might feel like more, might feel like less. Um, but when we switch between them, we can go from, you know, uh, devil to saint pretty quickly. And we're like, holy shit, like I'm capable of this. And at the same time, I've got a gift. Yes, it's true. And you know what? You can be totally good in one area of life and then be a total shithead in another area of life and they can coexist. Um, the problem is when we judge that and we condemn ourselves for it, or if we are ignorant of that, that's a problem too. And that's usually where we're blinded to these things and they absolutely control us. So essentially, it's bringing light, being aware of what all these different parts of us are, bringing light to them and actively, I just say raising the frequency of them, but shining light where it's not, essentially, and um, uncovering those shadowy elements so that they can actually be purified. You know, if you have all your trash stuffed in a closet and you open the closet door and it's falling out and it's stinking, you got to open the door, you got to take the trash out and you got to air it out. Previously, it was a dark closet. When you open it up, it's now a lit closet and the trash is being taken out. And that's kind of the way that it works for us. We've got this compartmentalized different things all throughout our entire physical body, our mind and our emotions that much like the trash stuffed in the closet need to be opened up, aired out and taken out. And there's no real emotions about it. Sure, there's an emotional experience of it, but we don't need to attach a big story to the whole thing. It's just a very practical thing. It's like when we do our spring cleaning, it's sort of like we get down to business. It's like, all right, throw in the rubber gloves. We know we're going to be doing some scrubbing here and some work. Um, and then when it's done, it's sort of like you feel the difference. And that's, you know, one way why I kind of um, left, you know, very careful about spirituality is because um, I like to see things as much more objective. I don't like this idea of like, you know, uh, sort of this new age belief that, you know, we just create, create a reality without any other input or the other side of the coin, which is that you got to heal and you got to do hard work and you got to like keep going down this route of grinding. That's just kind of like self punishment. Um, but I, I kind of want to know what is the real convergence of, is there a scientific approach? We, we have a lot of sophistication in science. We've discovered, you know, uh, quantum mechanics and, theoretical physics is converging more and more and more onto concepts that have ex long existed in uh, mystical and philosophical studies, and they're being able to prove this. So we should have intelligent language for describing these things that we experience every day. It's amazing that in the English language has so few words that actually describe the processes that are governing our entire life. A language like Sanskrit, they have 600 words for these things. They have different words for different qualities of, of energy and frequency at different um, levels of rarefication or densification and, and the different qualities and, and all this kind of stuff. And we have one word that we use, it's energy, and sometimes you use the word frequency. And so we're constantly very inarticulate about these things as a result of the actual semantics of our language. 
Now, we live in a semantic reality where our perception of reality is shaped by semantics. I think Terrence and Dennis McKenna, they, they prove this, and that so much of our language controls how our mind develops. But it, nonetheless, it still is amazing that even with the limitations of our own language, that we can have these experiences. It's just we don't have a vocal apparatus and linguistic database to describe them accurately. Which is why, as Miles Davis said, it's always about the space between the notes. It's always about the space between the words and the intention behind it. So anyway, I will leave you with that. Um, yeah, I don't really think there's anything else to say other than if you're interested, I've, uh, I've got some deeper work around this stuff that's happening. And I'm creating a container for 12 individuals. It's already about half full right now. But in three months time, we're going to walk through transmuting the core wound, aligning with the ideal reality you have, which then causes reality to sort of conform to that and naturally and easily attracting prosperity. That's really the basis of trifecta so that we can just get on with what we're here to do and to experience a lot more ease and a lot less friction and resistance because the energies of today are very conducive for people individuating healthfully and plugging in with new potential that was previously not available. So this system is an innovation. I've, I've um, used the true sidereal zodiac with human design gene keys and astrology to create the diagnostics. And then I've created from my own little bag of quantum tricks, the way of actually applying that and putting it into motion. So there's a link below if you want to know more. But aside from that, have a happy holiday. And if you don't hear from me sooner, have a happy new year too. But I will be back in 2024. And my God, I plan to just hook my reins over a comet and really take off next year and really do a lot more of this because I've really enjoyed this new way of podcasting, this new way of viewing things. It feels like it's a homecoming for me. So thank you for tuning in and we'll chat soon. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.